Real quick before we dive into this episode of the podcast, be sure to grab your free PDF copies of my latest books at frugal.show forward slash free. Now on to the show. Welcome to the Frugalpreneur podcast. I am your host, Sarah St. John, and my guest today is known as the Price Whisperer. He is a thought leader and author in everything pricing and how companies can use pricing to drive higher growth, sales volume, and profits. Welcome to the show, Pear Showforce. Sarah, it's a pleasure to be on the show, and, and thank you very much for that introduction. Well, can you tell us a little bit more of your background and, and how you got into becoming pricing expert? Well, first off, let me say this, that I didn't invent this moniker, the price whisper. I was called the price whisper so many times that I decided to adopt it. And part of it is because with a wacky name like me, that it makes perfect sense in, in my native Sweden, but uh, not necessary in the U.S. <laughs> so I decided that way. Why not use the, that moniker and it's going to be a lot easier for people to find me. The reason I got into this, and there's only a handful of people that, that are real experts on pricing. And the story here is that in a couple of companies in Europe. And, and then I came here to the U.S. to establish and run a division of a fairly large public company and continue with another four CEO positions. In all these instances, we did experiments with pricing. Some of those experiments worked really very well and others were complete duds. And when I'm saying worked well, it meant that next quarter revenues were up 25% or something in that yield, very substantial. And what I had learned in business school and what I could read about pricing was so theoretical and, and so academic that it didn't help us to understand why some of those experiments worked and why others didn't. So 15 years ago, actually, time flies. I decided I was too old and too opinionated to be a hired gun. So it was time to set up my own shop and to take that interest I had in pricing and really develop a process to make every pricing experiment a success. That's what we do. I mean, it's, I just got off a call and closed, I think, project number 749 or something like that. So this particular project is a company in the, in the virtual reality space, but we've done from shovels to stem cells, to food services, to anything between anything, to be honest. Basically you help companies figure out what the right pricing structure is for them? Yes. The process that we use is to do willingness to pay research. So this is to distribute an online questionnaire to the marketplace of a, of a company and, and then very, very carefully and very aggressively, I would say, qualify respondents to that questionnaire in such a way that only those that are relevant to our clients actually get access to it. And, and that could be a B2B or it could be a B2C company that we work with. And often we end up, first of all, we can target people very carefully in what we do, but then we typically disqualify between 90 and 95% of those who, who wants to enter the questionnaire. I mean, the reason is very simple, you know, garbage in, garbage out. So we want to make sure there's no garbage in. <laughs> so what are some of the most common pricing mistakes that companies make and you know, what should we do to correct? Well, first of all, to recognize those and to correct them. There are really three main pricing mistakes companies do. 
the first, let's say four, if I say the first and very, maybe most significant mistake is to not realize that pricing is actually really important. There's actually statistics out there saying that some companies, some SaaS companies spend a total of six man hours on pricing over the lifetime of the company. Why is that important? Well, if you, if you think about it, every company has profits that comes from only three variables. It's the total cost of whatever you sell. It is the sales volume of whatever you sell. And it is that price of whatever you sell. You know, from a high level point of view, that's how simple it is. Now, if you do a thought experiment and you say, let's change one of those 1%, what is the result in profits? Now, profits are important because if you don't have profits, eventually you run out of cash and your company dies, right? Or investors, they're not going to be willing to support you anymore. And again, the company dies or being sold and you've lost whatever effort you put into it, right? So if we do a thought experiment, then we say to ourselves, what if I can change my sales volume with 1%? How does that affect profits? Well, if you're like the average company, a 1% increase in sales volume will increase profits by 3.5%. That's, of course, because price goes up, but so does cost, right? On the other hand, with the same thought experiment, say that if I can reduce my cost with 1%, Profitability goes up again for the average company, goes up with five and a half percent. But if you say, let me increase my price with one percent or decrease my discounting with one percent, profitability for the average company goes up 11.3 percent. And I'm doing, you know, as I'm talking to different companies about this, I'm, I'm saying, and I have something that I call the 1% challenge, right? What is that? Well, it's very simple. Have you ever failed to change anything 1%? I don't think so. It's tiny, 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 right? Mm -hmm. And what does that mean for a company then? Well, maybe it means that, no, you don't do this 30% off campaign. You do it 20% off. You're going to have the same sales volume anyway, right? Or you say, well, you look at the product and you say, can I inch this up a couple of percent? You're working proactively with pricing like that. And it's going to make a huge difference for any company, right? Because you don't do 1%, you do 5%, right? Mm -hmm. And if you're like the average company, suddenly you have 50% more profits. What do you do with that? Well, you put it back in the company for more market development, for more product development, right? So when you have that mindset, in the company of the, the power of the 1%, a lot of things are changing. Mistake, the real mistake is to look at competition and set the same price. Mm. And what that typically means is it's the first step into the commoditization death spiral. Because the next thing you do is that you start using the same marketing messages and you, or similar marketing messages. You start having the same product or service features and so forth. And, and suddenly, you and your competition are all commodity and commodities are sold on low price only. Another issue with, with this is that even if you can find your competitors' prices online and so forth, you don't know what deals they're making. You don't know what specials they have. You don't know what bundles they're doing. You don't know what kickbacks they're doing. 
So that is not a very good source of information. And if they don't have prices online, it's almost impossible to get accurate prices of competition. And if you have joint customers, anybody in sales knows that buyer liar, right? So if you get information from a, a buyer of competitors' prices, don't believe what they say. Because they, they got to lowball the price because they want you to lower your price. Another very common mistake is to use cost as a base of pricing. Now, cost is important, but it should not drive pricing. And because your cost is irrelevant for the buyer, right? What's relevant for the buyer is how you differentiate yourself and the value you deliver, uh, not the cost. And there's an interesting thing with you. Again, let's do another thought experiment. Let's say you have a, a product where the cost is 50 bucks and your strategy, quote unquote, is to double that and that leads to your price. So the price is 100 bucks and your margin or your uplift, I should say, is 100%. And your margin is 50%. Let's then say that you manage to lower your cost to 40 bucks. And with that rule of your pricing, suddenly your price is going to be 80, right? So you still have an, an uplift that is 100%. You still have a 50% margin, but you just chop yourself in the foot because your dollar margin went down from 50 to 40. And lots of companies don't think about this. Obviously, the third most common mistake is simply guessing. Let me tell you a little story I, I spoke to. This is maybe five or six years ago. It's very vivid in my memory. Spoke to the CEO of a new started SaaS company, and he said, I decided that our price is going to be $165 a user a month. He said, and then he continued, but I don't know. Maybe it should have been 99. Maybe it should have been 250. But 165 just felt really good. I checked the, the website of the company a couple of months ago, and it still looked like a very, very small startup. So I think a better way of pricing would probably have accelerated the, the growth of the company somewhat. So most of my listeners are probably more service-based, you know, online, you know, whether it's coaching, consulting, a service, like for example, my business is podcast production. Do you have any tips or recommendations on pricing a service? Oh, there's no difference. It's all about understanding value that you deliver to your clients and specifically how you are different than competition. In some cases, that could be significant differences. In some cases, they're not so significant, but it is always absolutely crucial to focus on those differentiators. A few years back, Warren Buffett said this, that he said, the most important criterion for evaluating a business for an investment is whether the business has pricing power. And then he continued saying that, and pricing power is the ability to increase prices and not lose sales volume. And if you remember, and in the audience remember what I said about that, the power of the 1%, it makes a huge, huge difference. Now. How do you find that true value, right? Obviously that's what we do in my company. We have a process where we do this willingness to pay research and through a series of questions, we are able to assess with great accuracy, the monetary value, a market heaps of a, of a particular company, its products or its services. And that works every time. 
I have clients who've grown five times the original size, 10 times the original size, not overnight, of course, but because their profits increases substantially so that they have more money to spend on market development, more money on service definitions, more money on marketing and so forth. And because of that, they grow and becomes, if they're not already the market leaders, they become the market leaders. How can you do this if you're, if you're a small company, if you're a solopreneur, if you're a coach or whatever? Well, first of all, put your thinking hat on and define for yourself, what are my differentiators? Everybody will tell you they do quality work. Everybody will say, I have happy customers. Everybody will say, we'll get X and Y results. All of those statements that you have in, in marketing need to be qualified and it needs to be drilled down to the next level. Saying that you do quality isn't good enough, right? We do good quality because we have happy customers because we guarantee you no email will be unanswered for more than four hours. Stuff like that makes you different and obviously different for every company and for every industry, but find those differentiators. Then my recommendation is to go out and find 25 potential customers to your company or more if you can, of course, but minimum 25. If you can't find 25 potential customers, you have bigger problem than pricing, but these should not be current customers. They should not be current prospects. They should absolutely not be friends and family or friends and friends of friends and family or something like that. They should be genuine potential to your product or your service. And then you describe in detail what you do and specifically your differentiators. Now you can do this verbally. I mean, if you're looking for consumers, you can maybe go down to your local Starbucks and just approach people and say, I'm doing some market research. Can I ask you a couple of questions? You'll get a lot of no's, but you will get a few yeses. And if it's B2B, it may be a little more difficult, but you can maybe go to LinkedIn and find people on LinkedIn and you can do this over message and emails and stuff like that. But you ask two questions. And the first question is, now, Mr. Customer, now when you understand our service and you understand how we are different, what is the price that is so low that you think that we are going to overpromise and underdeliver? So because of that, you think our service is not going to be good enough and you won't buy it. And the phraseology here is absolutely important. You have to ask the question like I did. And then you ask the second question. And now, Mr. Customer, I'd like to understand the flip side. You understand what we do in my company. You understand my service. You understand how we are different. Now, what is a price that is so high that you won't buy, even if we under-promise and over-deliver? A price that is just outside your budget, just outside your budget. And then you take the, you take the average of those 25 data points, well, it's actually 50 data points, but, and you average those and suddenly you have a range of where your prices you. And then of course you want to set your, your price towards the high end of that scale. If there are people that answer completely out of whack, just ignore them. What are you willing to pay for this pen? Well, a million bucks, <laughs> probably not. 
So there has to be a little bit of finesse here. And if somebody says something that is completely unrealistic, just ignore them. Now, if you continue this and eventually get discussions with maybe 75 people, and if you know enough about these people, if it's consumers, you can know age and gender and stuff like that. Then you can start looking at segmenting it. So maybe you find that, again, I'm using very simplistic things. And maybe you find that men are willing to pay higher, have a higher range than, than females. You know, you would want to focus your marketing and sales towards men or the opposite, right? Or maybe again, use that sort of, use that find, finding people in Starbucks kind of analogy. Maybe you find people in affluent areas are willing to pay different than lower income. And then, and in fact, but don't make the mistake that those in higher income are willing to pay higher prices because they are not necessary. So with a service-based business, like I'll just use mine, for example, podcast production. Sure. Do you recommend having packages or a la carte pricing or a mixture, monthly retainer type of services, or just kind of pay as you go? You should always have packages, good, better, best, mm -hmm. right? And the way that should be presented when you present it to a customer, whether it's on, on your website or in the proposal or whatever, is that you should always start with an expensive option. Then you should have the middle option and then you should have the, the lowest cost option. And that is because as we read left to right, which most of us do, at least here in the US, the first price sets an anchor, which means that the, the consequent prices you read again, left to right, appear more affordable. And you should also, if you can, you should try to sell monthly retainers for a long mm -hmm. period of time, minimize sales friction. And but going back to this price anchoring, the most brilliant example of that that I've ever seen is when Apple came up with the Apple. And so the, the product they, they wanted to sell was a $349 product. But then they did, they put the same electronics in a golden case. And they sold it for 17,000. All the, I mean, everybody who was interested at the time in, in an Apple watch were of course reading what the media said about it. And the media was writing, how can Apple have the audacity to sell the same electronics for 349 and 17,000? And every time somebody <laughs> read that, that 349 became more and more and more affordable. They also sent the message that, okay, 349 is really affordable, right? But because you can say that sell the same thing, the same electronics for 17,000, this must be pretty good. So that price anchoring is really important. If you can't do different bundles of services, you can still do price anchoring in some way by adding a large number that your buyer sees before they see your prices. In your case, you say you do podcast production. So maybe what you could put on, on your pricing page is our listeners to our customers, whatever you have downloaded 1.3 million podcasts, you know, it needs to be in numbers and it obviously it needs to be accurate, but that also sets a reference, meaning that rest of the numbers appear more affordable. Yeah. That's a good technique. I'll have to try that. And. And I know you have a book called The Price Whisperer, and I was kind of looking this, through this. This is the book. 
Yeah, <laughs> I need to get that. I was looking on Amazon at the chapters, and one of them that kind of stuck out to me that I wanted to see if you could talk about was price selects the customer. Oh, yes. It does, absolutely. And, and that is, let me tell you this in a story form, right? And so we, we did this project for a company who has, they have a SaaS product. It's a, it's a phone system in the cloud. And we told them that they, they were fairly small startup. And we told them that they were so underpriced that they could quadruple their prices. Now they didn't do that. And this is all from measuring what the marketplace are willing to pay. Remember that. And two things happened, and this is according to the CEO. He said, our sales volume went up 25%. This is at four times the price, right? And then he continued and he, he said, and I'm using his words here. And then he said, and we got rid of the bottle feeders. So our tech support or our customer support cost have gone down with 80% because we now have a more professional level of customer. And I'm sure I have the, this story is, is also in the book, but if you have low price, you end up selling to price sensitive customers and price sensitive customers care about the low price. They care not so much about the service or the product. They don't do anything by themselves. They don't learn how to use the product. They don't learn how to benefit from the service. And instead they call you for help all the time. Mm -hmm. You spend all this time and effort supporting them. And as soon as there is an alternative that is just a cent cheaper, they're gone. So they are loyal to the low price and not anything else. So pricing certainly selects your customers. Just like in the example I, I gave you, if you price relatively high, the relationship between you as a vendor and your customer becomes more symbiotic. They see value in this, the, the specifics that you do over and above the price and work with you in a different way than what a really price sensitive customer would. I don't know, dozens of dozens, maybe even hundreds of, of people that I spoke to over the years telling me that you don't want those price sensitive customers. They suck up your resource. They're not loyal and they don't work with you. That's really something to consider. Kind of going back to like, if you have a package or a bundle, mm -hmm. for example, a podcast production, you know, four episodes a month, mm -hmm. but say they want to customize it because they, maybe they release two episodes a week. So they need a, whatever customization mm -hmm. or they want show notes, but they don't want, you know, there's all these different factors. So if you have a package or a bundle, if someone contacts you to want to customize it, do you, you recommend that or do you stick to your bundle? No, you should I mean, then you lose a customer. That doesn't seem like a good idea. So mm -hmm. yeah, you should, you, you should obviously be able to add features and, and so forth and, and add some, a bit of price for those, you know, but the, the, the starting point is, I assume that you sell, there's a sales conversation involved, right? Mm -hmm. And from that sales conversation, you, you may end up understanding they want bundle A, bundle B or bundle C, but you also should be able to understand and say to the customer, but since you are, you can actually use this for two, two ways. You can upsell it saying that, but because you want X and we have only Y in the bundle, 
I will need a little bit more money, right? Another way of doing it is to say, I really want to work with you. So although we will typically charge extra for Y, we will bundle it in. It becomes a way of closing the deal. Yeah, that's a good idea. The extra thing they're asking for, just basically include that for free. As long as within reason. <laughs> yeah, within reason. Oh, obviously, you know, but you know, if somebody buys something, like you said, four podcasts a, a month and they want eight podcasts a month, you may say, all right, I can give you two of them for free, but you have to pay extra for the other two, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, but it's also very important that another story comes to mind. This is a very different than, than maybe the audience here. This is a, a large public tech company, you know, and, and I spoke to somebody rather, I, I don't know what actual title he had, but VP of something in, in that company. And, and he, he said to me, we have this huge problem. He said, we are not profitable. Investors have told us they are not going to support us make more money. And as soon as we try to increase our prices, just sales just dropped through the floor. So we don't know what to do. We can't increase our prices. We won't get any more money from, from investors. We all going to die, right? Well, I went to the company's website. I looked at the pricing page and it was one of these long scrolling pages. And I scrolled and I scrolled and I scrolled. And as I scrolled, the, the, the text I could read was that we are cheap. We are dirt cheap. We have low prices. We are the lowest in the industry, blah, yada, yada, yada. And there was endorsements from customers saying that they are so cheap. Are so low in price, they, they, you can't beat them on price. I mean, all the way. So when eventually I got to price, I, I had an expectation that the price would be tiny and it wasn't. So I went back to, to my contact and I said, and by the way, this is something that always was sold through a salesperson. So you didn't buy it off the website. There was always a salesperson involved. So I said, just remove that pricing page. Or at least just remove all the stuff saying how cheap. And then I followed up three months later, roughly, or maybe a couple of months later. Yeah, I don't remember. And the guy said, we removed all the pricing or the low price text from the website. And he said, and we had doubled our prices and we haven't lost any business. <laughs> We're now profitable. Mm -hmm. It's also very important in how you frame your prices. Yeah. The messaging and all that around there. Mm -hmm. Well, I really appreciate your time today. Was there anything else that you wanted to share or touch on before we ended? I hope the audience found this thing and, and valuable. And anyone who wants to find me, just do a Google search for The Price Whisper. And you're going to find me. You, you're going to find my book. You're going to find my company, my YouTube channel. And I'm writing on Forbes every couple of months and you know, it's, there, there's a lot of stuff out there that I, that I create lots of value that you can get from, again, just reading my book, reading my blog post and stuff like that. Well, I appreciate your time today. The direct website, if, it probably will be easier for people to just look up price whisper, right. but if you want to go direct, it's S J O F O R S.com. Well, that is correct. Yeah. Thank uh, you so I, much. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. And this was a pleasure, pleasant conversation. <laughs> Are you a frugalpreneur looking to connect with like-minded individuals? Join our community on Slack. Connect with fellow listeners, 
share your thoughts on episodes, engage in meaningful discussions, including money-saving tips and entrepreneurial insights, and help shape the future of the Frugalpreneur podcast. Plus, you can submit your questions in written or audio form to be featured on the show. Let's build a supportive space together. Join us now at frugal.show forward slash slack. See you on the inside.